or until he was hauled out feet first, or he made a stink, in which case he'd be still breathing but out on his canister. And where would a man 57 get a decent job in New Bradford, or anywhere else? What in hell is keeping them? As he thought it, he heard the triple knock at the back door of the plant. Howland jumped. One, two, three. But he stood there. The payroll was in undistributed sheafs of rubber-banded bills beside the canvas bag as he had brought it from the bank in the afternoon, accompanied in their every Wednesday waltz by Officer Wesley Malone, the town cop with the eyes that always seemed to be scouring for Indian sign or something. I wonder what Wes would think of this. Probably stalk me like he did the bobcat that showed up from Canada or someplace and played hob at Hurley's chicken farm and put a bullet between its eyes. The thought turned about, and it strengthened him. Still, as Howland hurried to the back door through the dark plant, his lungs labored, and his heart punched away at his Adam's apple. But his head held true blue to his plans. They did not include Sherry Ann. They did not even include Marie Briggs, the Twitch Breeches night counter girl at Elwood's diner. He was not sure what they did include, except $6,000. A year's pay, practically, tax free. Howland unlocked the door. Hinch was at the wheel. My wheelman, Furia called him. Hinch drove into the empty parking lot behind the plant and stopped the car on the tarmac atom ten feet from the rear entrance. It was a Chrysler New Yorker with a powerful purr, like Hinch. Black satin under the dust and not a dent. Furia had picked it out personally on the main drag in Newton Center Mass, in broad daylight. They had switched plates on a back road near Lexington, and Hinch crowed. It was a sweet bus, the neatest they had ever copped. It even had a police band on the radio. Furia was sitting up front with Hinch. Goldie was in the back seat, flipping one of her Lady Veer de Veer cigarettes. Gold-tipped, what else? Furia got out. He had a stiff skin, tight and yellow, and Mickey Mouse ears. Goldie, who was gone on Star Trek and Leonard Nimoy, had once called him Mr. Spock for a gag, but only once. Furia wore an executive three-button Brooks, a no-iron white shirt, a bleak gray silk tie, a two-inch Knox, black gloves, built-up heels, and amber goggles, the latest type that made him look like a frogman. His London fog he had left on the front seat. He stood there like a spinning top, motionless to the eye. He looked around. No. He had a spinning sort of voice, too, so hard and tight it practically sang. Goldie stopped in the act of stepping out of the car. Hinch did not move. Why not? he asked. Because I'm giving you the word. Bitch, Hinch chortled. Furia looked at him. Hinch gave him a rather embarrassed spread of the hand. I gave you the word, Goldie.
Goldie shrugged and stepped back into the Chrysler, banging the door. When Goldie shrugged, her long gold hair shrugged with her. She had borrowed the effect from the TV commercials. She was all gold and scarlet, a girl of bottles and pastes. Her miniskirt came eight inches under her crotch. She was wearing gold fishnets and tall gilt boots. Her eyes sat on purple cushions, not eyeshadow. Looks okay, Hinch said. Don't kill the engine just in case. Don't worry, Fuhr. Furia stepped up to the plant door. He walked on the balls of his feet like an actor playing a thief. As he walked, he felt his shoulder holster the way other men feel for their zippers. He knocked three times. One, two, three. The pair in the car sat...